This is episode 100 of Connecting Dots. Make sure to read the disclaimer in our show notes before each episode. Well, we are now at episode 100 of Connecting Dots. I think that's kind of cool. It's a lot of episodes. Yeah, it is a lot of episodes. So today we're going to chat about WeWork. We've talked about this in the past. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about it from a broader perspective. If you take a look at our blog post at Fixed Cost Financial, yeah, we have a little thing that says, I work, we work. I play, we play, I leave, we leave, it's new, it's old. And that's really what we're going to kind of call this podcast anyway, so the blog kind of dives into it. We're going to dig a little deeper into this thing. But there are a lot of things that are going on in what I call ride-sharing, co-working, just apartment living. People are not buying uh, Uber, Lyft, um, the gig economy. It's all related. And I think we should kind of talk a little bit about the long-term future, viability. I think we should kick off a little bit about WeWork and really get into it because it's going to be an IPO. And I've been very skeptical of it. I've been wrong on a lot of different things. But this one, I, I'm, um, it concerns me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fundamentally, it's a company that sells office space, but yet they don't own any offices. So that is a huge concern on my part. Um, you know, the, the, the company doesn't actually own any of their properties, which is a fascinating element to it, I think. Well, it's no different than years ago subleasing. I get an apartment and in the past, you know, you signed a, a lease with the landlord and nowadays everybody has to be vetted and they know who's there. But in the past, it was, it didn't work that way. Oh yeah. And so, you know, you got a place, I'm obligated and then you got to pay, you know, some rent. I mean, college towns, that's the way it was done and uh, houses and everything else. So that's all they're doing. They're literally, they're renting a house and saying, okay, I got a four bedroom, three bath house. We're dividing it up and we're sharing it's, it is literally no different than that. So what you're saying is basically WeWork is a $47 billion property management company. That's exactly what it is. And there are, there are real estate industry publications and podcasts. And, you know, I am big into going through the National Real Estate Developers Association. I mean, quite literally from high, you know, there's, there's an organization for everything from high rises to strip centers, shopping malls, property management companies for homeowners association, you name it. There's always something out there. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's, there's always an industry talking about other industries. So again, I I mean, you know, this is just an informal discussion because I will give this guy credit who came from Israel, who started this thing. Um, his name is Adam Newman, N-E-U-M-A-N-N. Every time I hear his name, I think of uh, Seinfeld, Newman. Hello, Newman. I think, um, of, I think of Neumann microphones. <laughs> is, that what, is that the actual proper pronunciation, Neumann? At least the, the microphone company in Germany, it's, it's pronounced Neumann. You spelled, have any, spelled the same way. I'm, so, I'm still going to call him Neumann because I, I, I like doing that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, don't know I don't know how they pronounce it. It depends, I guess. Person well, I'm person. doing it for a derogatory pers- purpose for like Seinfeld, Neumann. Hello, Neumann. Because I think this guy is... Um, I'm concerned about this guy. I think one of the things that nobody's talking about is the fact that he took $700 million out of his company recently. At the same time, they floated bonds and they're getting more money into the company to the tune of 3 to $4 billion. And they want to do an IPO and they, they say the company's worth $47 billion. And yet last year, they lost 
I think over $2 billion. I know that the first quarter of 2019, they lost about $265 million. I know they're opening two places in Tampa. So you've got your Class A cities, and I would call Tampa definitely a Class A city. It's one of the largest metropolitan areas in the nation. It's definitely getting WeWork. But I also know that the overwhelming majority of co-working locations are in places like New York and Los Angeles and Chicago. And well, New York also, City has 25% of that. So Well, they're also international. I mean, they have, they have places all over the world. So, And on the international front, they've got some real serious stiff competition. So what do you think? Well, I mean, you know, ultimately these people are not interested in building shareholder value. Like the West Coast, you know, quote unquote tech entrepreneurs do not care about shareholders. Shareholders are a means to an end, obviously. That's how they treat them. They use and abuse them. And, you know, I guess, you know, it could also fundamentally be a, a, a change in perspective because these people aren't stupid. Um, you know, if, if I knew that 70% of all of my shares bought out on the open market or not were going to be owned by other big financial institutions, I would probably take them for a ride as well. You know, so it, the whole world has kind of shifted on how, how you do these things. I mean, you know, if, if this was 40 years ago, you know, everybody would be worried about shareholder stuff, shareholder, who, how the shareholders think about things, shareholder rights. Now it's, you're just taking a bunch of big financial institutions for a ride, regardless of whose money it actually is at the end of the day. With these guys, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's it's a hell of a gamble. Um, you're not going to buy anything. You're going to just sublet out space and spend a lot of money doing it and have this big giant brand to do so. Um, you know, it's very clear that the, the founder, or at least one of the founders has, has, you know, at least one toe out the door in that he's preparing for alternative outcomes, meaning, you know, at the same time, he's also tied in. I mean, one thing that was reported on a couple months ago was the fact that he has hundreds of millions of dollars of, of personal debt. And why does he have that? Why does he have hundreds of millions of dollars of personal debt? And a lot of it boils down to the fact that he himself has borrowed money from big financial institutions to buy the pieces of property that then WeWork is going to rent from him. Not so, a conflict of interest at all, is it? No, it's a complete, total breach of fiduciary responsibility. That's sarcasm, responsibility. by the way, for you and your Belinda. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a total breach of fiduciary responsibility, um, but it's a private company, and you know the board is a bunch. You know, they're they're a bunch of venture capital firms and and big financial institutions, and they honestly don't care. You know, because if you think about it, what are they interested in? They're interested in this being as big as possible and getting it to an IPO so they can extract their profits. They don't really care about what happens after that. Um, you know. You know, it's the same reason that SoftBank put I don't know how many billions of dollars into the company. You know, they're they didn't buy into it early. They bought into it recently, bought a big chunk of it for a whole lot of money, and they're hoping for an IPO ASAP. Let's talk about that for a minute. You have I th- again, you know, and I know if you're listening out there, don't take offense to this, but most people don't know that IPO world. So you have angel investors, you have early stage investors. You mentioned SoftBank; they're not an early stage investor. They, they have a very and and go go through real quickly who they are, yeah, what so country they are, and what, what their game plan is. And, and before you do that, you, you folks who are listening, you got to understand that we're forecasters here, especially my son and I, more than anything else. That's what we do. We connect, The reason we call this podcast Connecting Dots, episode 100, is because that's what we do. And if you should ever say, man, 
I don't, I don't get it. We're the people you should be using for your investment approach as a fiduciary because we do get it. We understand how to fly a horse and how to make big bets on big ideas, how to do super forecasting and how Silicon Valley, like Dan Lyons talked about, is so screwed up and how misbehaving and how Robert Thaler in his book boils down to people making emotional decisions. So when it comes to things like, well, who is SoftBank and they're involved, that's one of those red flags you need to pay attention to because they have an MO. What is it? Yeah, so SoftBank started its life out, as far as I'm aware, as a telecommunications, wireless telecommunications company in Japan back in the, I don't know, what, late 80s, early 90s sometime. And they became one of the country's, like, one of two or three big telecom providers. Giant, giant company. Um, in the past 15 or so years, they've their, their CEO has shifted them out of um, doing just one business into kind of a con- multinational conglomerate. But one of the things they've been doing is kind of clever, if you, if, you're, if you don't want to get pinned down to one specific thing and you want to distribute risk, is they're basically just a big investment manager. And they pool money into big funds, and then they invest in other things. So their their company is not only owns things and you know whatever, but they're also raising money, pools of money to be invested as you know some of their money, some of other people's money to buy and leverage and do other things. Um, company has a market cap of like a, a $108 billion or something. It's not the biggest company in the world by market va- valuation, but this is the company that I think two years ago raised $100 billion, um, some of their money, mostly other people's money to go in and as, as they called it, the um, they, had a, they had a clever name for it. Uh, anyways, this big investment fund, they went and bought a bunch of stuff. But one thing that became very clear, a lot of people thought about it and were like, wow, $108 billion basically venture capital fund. You could do a lot of, you could, you could do a lot with a hundred billion dollars, but then what they ended up doing was not doing what everybody thought they would do. Instead, because they they said they would focus more on technology, what they ended up doing was just do big big chunks of investment into a couple big companies that had a lot of opportunities. So high risk, high reward type opportunities. Big bets on big ideas. So instead of instead of doing what everybody thought they were going to do, which was throw a lot of money at a lot of little companies, and you know, statistically speaking, that's how that's how venture capital people in Silicon Valley make their money is they they, they throw a lot of little a lot of money to a lot of people, and ninety percent of it goes into the wind. But yeah, it's like birdshot, spray and pray. Enough of them come come to home to roost that you know you can actually make a make a significant return on that. I mean, you know, you, you only need one Facebook and one venture round to make an entire company's like name on it. So, anyways, uh, one of the things, for example, they they own Sprint, which they're selling it off as their reverse merger acquisition, whatever whatever the latest spiel is to uh, T-Mobile. So time to cash out. That of course got instantly approved. Um, I mean, it didn't get instantly approved, but it got approved once pressure was put on the, the Trump administration because Trump fancies him a friend of himself, a friend of this um, Japanese CEO who runs SoftBank. Um, and I think it's also important for those of you who are listening, you know, it doesn't make any difference what the administration is. Once you're elected, it goes back to the days of Andrew Jackson. Everybody's coming to the White House or in the case of Trump and everybody else to wherever they're setting up, getting ready for to, you know, do the transition. It was just real popular with him and everybody was fascinated in the reporters. Just follow the people who are coming and going. 
mean, that's who you're going to be seeing later on. Yep. So uh, they, for example, one of the biggest things they bought was um, they bought Arm. Yep. Arm Holdings, which is um, they make basically the the low power computer chips that are in practically every little device and gizmo and phone that anything that's portable, basically. Um, so that that's a company that app that Apple ended up actually owning a part of back in the day. Um, they co-founded, I guess, with a bunch of other people. Everybody thought Apple owned ARM for the longest time until they realized, no, that's actually a different company. It runs in England. It's totally separate. Anyway, so, so they invest in these companies. And um, if, you, if you heard him say what he said, we both have this utter disgust for companies that stand up and say, oh, I'm so, I'm so good. Oh, we pay our taxes. And then you find out that you've got all these shenanigan deals in Ireland and England and everywhere else. So Yeah, I actually think ARM, though, was actually founded by a bunch of people in England. Yeah, um, but in any case, the, so SoftBank has this. They just ra- they just announced they have another a new. Uh, they they called the first the first hundred billion dollar fund. They called it the Vision Fund. So they have like they're calling it Vision Two or something. Anyways, they they've supposedly raised a hundred and eight billion dollars, which is just an ungodly amount of money. And uh, they are putting in thirty eight billion of their own, some of which is contingent on your uh, sale merger thing of Sprint and some other stuff, but. But the point is, is that one of the other big um, investments that they had in that, I don't know if it was part of the Vision Fund or if it was part of their other holdings, but um, was in WeWork. I don't know to the tune it was, but just a big giant, think of it like a big giant venture capital behemoth now that owns lots of these weird subsidiaries. They they, they do any way to make money. And, and as the CEO, I remember reading about him a couple months ago, as he said, I'm the king of debt, you know, because they have like $300 billion in debt or something on the books. So, you know, just, it, they will borrow to the last penny if it if it's if it's demanded they are he's he's somebody that's willing to just roll the dice over and over and over down to the last penny he's they're smart but at the same time it's just that's an incredibly that's an incredibly rare and powerful personality and for those of you again who are still listening with us I talk about this all the time. A lot of people can't pull the trigger. Yeah. Here's a guy who is literally pulling the trigger playing Russian roulette. And but it's it's not uncalculated risks. Oh no. I mean, they're totally calculated. But they're 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 making risks, big bets and big risks on companies that, you know, I, I actually think this guy has a decent pulse of what's actually going on. What they do the research. Because something like WeWork, you know, they're gonna invest a ton of money in, in I mean, they invest a ton of money into WeWork and they own you know, I believe somewhere around 10%. Um, you know, that, that would, that could potentially net them a huge return when it goes to market. But at the same time, I, you know, I, I don't know, but I, 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 anything SoftBank invests in right now, I would not bet against them um, because I do think that they have a good, a good finger on the pulse. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, why are things like Uber and WeWork and all of these things so popular? And, and my contention is really it comes down to the same thing, the same phenomenons that you see all over the place, the same trends, really. Um, it, it comes down to unaffordability. You have just the, the herd of the masses is moving. They're moving into the big cities. You know, the, the middle America is emptying out. And because of that, you know, the cost of, of services is rapidly increasing in every metro area. There's, you know, scarcity elements involved in housing and, and transportation and everything everywhere. Um, 
And because of that, you know, people just can't afford it. I mean, because you don't have, you know, the economy is not doing, you know, gangbusters. It's just, it's a slow, steady, what I think the most recent number was like a GDP was 2% growth. You know, yep. it's, it's not, it's not kicking it out of the park. So you don't have like this, you know, you don't have a lot of momentum going on. So people have to, you know, they're making trade-offs. And I think WeWork is a good example, you know, instead of going and, you know, I have a small business with two or three people, can't really afford to go rent a whole space. Maybe we'll just do WeWorks and, you know, we'll work close to home and we'll just teleconference or, you know, I want to go to a place. So I rent a place I go, but, you know, maybe my other two people that work with me, they work from their apartment or a Starbucks. Um, you know what I mean? So it's, 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 it's just, it's just an evolution of, of how people cope with, you know, really what it comes down to is supply and demand. I mean, especially in these big cities, I mean, we work, I think we work as the second largest, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, landlord. Yeah. Second largest landlord by square foot in the entire city. I think the largest is still bank of America. Well, down in Miami, I, I don't have it off the top of my head, but I know in Miami, they're building an entire building. They're taking the whole thing. Wow. And then in Tampa, the the one that's going in, I think, on Morgan Street, um, that's a pretty big operation, but they're building a new high-rise in Tampa, and I don't know to what degree WeWork is going in there. But you mentioned, for example, that they tend to have nicer furniture. Uh, Herman... Um, yeah, Herman Miller. They, they just, they build every, I know they do everything top of the line, top notch, no expense. You get a premium for it. Yeah, and the difference is, is, you know, you a one-person office suite, they call it, which is just a room with furniture um, for one person, is $1,000 a month. Yeah, so so a couple of quick things. Let me just jump in. We work, I, I wrote this, is it's not a company for mom-and-pop entrepreneurs. No, not um, all, especially in bigger cities. That's the other thing. Yeah, so, so, but it is, you know, solo practitioners who want to set up shop and dump their ownership from a brick and mortar building, you know, who want a better environment. Professionals will go there, okay, because your doctors, your lawyers, your engineers, people like that will want to pay a premium for it. But one of the things that this is not something for um, the young entrepreneur who's willing to work off of a sawhorse and and um, it can be. It depends on the city, but it's, it's not. It's, but it's not that environment. The, it, the, the broader the thing I was going to mention, but the broader trends that I was mentioning a minute ago. I mean, WeWork is just one player of thousands. They're just the big giant behemoth in the room, right? But it, every but, city has small co op or a little little and those are really expanding like crazy and typically they're a lot more affordable depends on the city of course well one of the things i've been doing in tampa and in st pete is i have been going to these places and looking at them and you know years ago we you and i were looking at regis uh, facilities i was very impressed with regis now regis is real dated what there's a, there's a lot of opportunities out there. Now, what I will tell you, like for example, in Tampa, there's a place called Industrious. Industrious is really really cool because they've put, they're building another place in Harbor Island, and the one that they have downtown, uh, I think, is in the Sun Bank building. The, basically, all the walls for all the private offices are glass, so there's a combination of some frosting, but it's all glass. And you know what the purpose there is? You don't have anybody basically living in these things. If you have solid walls, you could have that. And then you have small offices where you can make your phone calls, and you have you know private office for meetings and stuff like that but it, you know each of these has a different flavor uh, the one i was at the other night it, it was it's a it's a real startup place and then uh, went to the attic and had the uh, the event that we were at so everything has a different flavor to it i was at one um up in uh, tampa palms a little strip center the lady went in she's renting she's sliced and diced it and that's her business i mean it she has her own table there <laughs> out with everybody else 
So there's no big moat in terms of somebody's going to control it. Yeah, that. But but, but then but the way then, they're doing it though. Yeah. So that's the thing is is the perception of WeWork is that they're just like all these other people, but really they're not. Um, I I don't know what the percentage is, but it's 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 over fifty percent, I believe, of their tenants are big businesses. And so, for example, you know, Tesla has a if they have a couple engineers in a city, you know, like a satellite office, they'll just have WeWork put them get them a space in one of their places. Um, they Some companies will take an entire floor where WeWork will basically do the soup to nuts property management of the entire thing like they would a normal WeWork, but it's all just one company. Um, so and when Bob's wife gets transferred to San Antonio, Bob stays with uh, whatever the company is. Let's say he's with uh, Sales Genie or Salesforce, rather, and he just goes to work in San Antonio yeah. at another place. And if they have one or if not, then they pay for his desk or a, an office at a new place. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like remote work, but not quite. It's really strange to think about. But, but it, it's really the next evolution, if you think about it, because IBM had everybody working, not everybody, but had a lot of people working remotely at yeah, home. They were the largest they were the largest remote workforce in the in the, uh, in the business world. And that ended. Told everybody, get in, get in the office. We're done with this because it wasn't working. So this, to me, it just seems it's a natural evolution of some things work, some things don't. People like to, people want an interaction and uh, it makes sense. Yeah, it really does. But the thing about WeWork is, you know, it's, it's, it's a good example of everybody kind of views them in a certain light or a certain, um, uh, they, they, everybody thinks they understand them, but really when you peel back the layers, it's, it's, it's not what you think it is. It's more of property management company than anything for, for, for big high dollar tenants. And the property management companies have raised some very legitimate questions. They're burning through cash. They're still doing big capital raises. They have lots and lots of properties, but their operating losses are still are still ongoing. And and in some cases they're growing. So there's just a lot of questions. Now I want to dive back for a second and we'll pick up where, where I left off here, but I want to give context to what a billion dollars is. Back in 1976, when I was in Washington, DC, I had an opportunity to be with a fellow by the name of Jack Kemp. Now, Jack was the quarterback of the New England Patriots at the time. And uh, now they're called, I guess, the Buffalo Bills or whatever. But um, Or I don't know what they're called anymore. But all I know is Jack was their quarterback. Jack had a deep, gravelly voice, and he used to wear a diving watch. And he was giving a talk in Washington, and he said uh, to a group of us, he said, you know, he said, here in Washington, we're, we're voting on things, and sometimes we don't know what, whether it's a million or a billion. So now we're dating ourselves. It's 1976. That's a long, long time ago, right? And now we're voting on trillions of dollars. But what his example was, you know what the difference is between a million and a billion? And he said, let me give you an example. And he held his watch. And he did it in such a way in his deep, grovelly voice. And for those of you who don't know who Jack Kemp is, you go to Wikipedia, look him up. He was the vice presidential running mate for Bob Dole when Bob ran against Bill Clinton and when Clinton ran for re-election. So anyways, what happened is he said, you know, a million seconds is 12 days. Okay, that made sense. And then he said 30, uh, a billion seconds is 36, and then he paused. So he let that 36 just linger in the air. And you're thinking 36 days, right? You know, or 36 months. No, a billion seconds is 36 years. A million seconds is 12 days. So when you say SoftBank raised 100 billion dollars take 36 years and multiply it by 100 when i say that for example we work lost 2 
billion last year, that's the equivalent of, in terms of seconds, that's 72 years. That's a lot of money. And that's, I think, a lot of people are really concerned about, I think, in the in the real estate industry, how do you recap? How do you get, I mean, these people that know rent, they know property management, they know triple net leasing, they know they know deterioration, they, they can't, how, sure. do you gonna, how are you going to do it? Going back to where where we start, where I kind of started this off at is that's not the point of any of this. Like, sure. Yeah, you can make all the logical arguments you want. Who cares? This is an emotional sale. Bingo. It always is. The entire entire economy has turned into, you know, just hyper-inclusive consumerism to the point that people don't even think about obvious stuff like, how are you going to make a profit? No, it's just, oh, I like WeWork. You know, there is no plan to make a profit. The the, the primary investors, I mean, they say they have a plan. Ha ha. Um, yeah, I'm sure Uber, and, and Uber has a plan too. Do you know what their plan for profitability is? I have no idea. Fully automated self-driving cars and flying cars. I'm not joking. That's their plan to profitability. You know, and, I used and, to, and as a kid. 40 years ago, if somebody brought a proposal like that to anybody, they would have laughed them out of the room and they would have been blackballed. Of course they would have. Permanently. Yeah. Because they're absolutely, you know, crazy. Not today, though. Today, the public will eat it up. It's a PR strategy. And sure, those things are much more, much closer to reality today than they were 40 years ago. But do you think that Uber can raise enough money and, and you know, uh, borrow from one company to pay another one off and, you know, do the, uh, do the, uh, <laughs> d- stretch it as long as they can to, to, to make it to flying cars? Well, but that's, I, that's, I don't think it's so. The, it's the runway. Okay, let's assume we did go to the moon. And, and I say, let's assume, because there are a lot of people, I think, was it 20, 30% of the population doesn't believe we ever it's went like to the half. moon? Okay, so 50% of the population doesn't believe we went to the moon. Okay. Just like the majority of the population doesn't believe uh, JFK was assassinated by... Um, Lee Harvey Oswald. Lee Harvey Oswald, just like most people don't believe almost anything the government says. Well, you know, JFK is actually living with Mama Cass and Elvis Presley and uh, uh, Morrison. They're all living somewhere in a in a, in a uh, cabin somewhere in uh, Kentucky. I read that one day at, uh, at the grocery store years ago. National Enquirer found him someplace, so that's got to be true. I mean, <laughs> the National Enquirer knows well, everything. Well, I mean, if the National Enquirer <laughs> says it, it must be true. <laughs> Uh, but you know, the thing is, is yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're going to get there more and more technology is going to happen. But the reality is, um, I got news for you boys and girls. It's called a runway and it's going to, we, we haven't gone back to the moon lately. So yeah, we're going to have flying cars. We're going to have cars that are driving. Who is it? You just told me there's somebody that, that they, they, they're mapping all the streets. Oh, um, that's GM. Yeah. But, yeah. What was the story there? Yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's, it's applicable to what we're talking about. They have a self-driving thing that they're putting in their cars or technology that they're building into some of their cars supposedly and it will support like driving like most almost fully automated driving on highways or interstates and they just went out and manually mapped most of the major interstate routes and if it hasn't been manually driven by their special sensors and if it hasn't been you know manually reviewed then you're you can't do the auto thing on it so they've they're doing that on on these anyways it it actually got delayed so it's not even it's not even going to be out this year even though they said it was but um but it's it's fully manual and it's it's labor intensive we've talked about this a lot i mean i i've been very negative on self-driving vehicles because there's just there's just so much that goes into it people just i think people are just ignorant uh and plain stupid uh ignorance is when you don't know something stupidity is when you know it and you just won't, won't accept it 
people can change stop signs they can change so many different things and these cars these are not this is not how 2001 space odyssey and um i mean driver assistance is is fantastic i mean i love for example i i have a mercedes s550 and it's in the shop and i've had to drive to tampa a couple times i really miss the cruise control because i can set the car at let's say 80 miles an hour put in the middle lane and i'm driving but when i come up to somebody it naturally automatically slows down now i'm not driving with my head up my app rectum i'm paying attention but that's just a nice feature it's just a less, little bit less stress okay so when you pass you just go out and go but that's not self-driving okay so going back to we work again i i just think that one of the problems with this this guy is one of the things he's done is he's acquired companies that are really unusual he's acquired a company called waltz prolific do you know do you know who prolific interactive is no i've never heard of it how about managed by Q? What is it? Euclid team, Mission U, Naked Hub, Conductor. I've heard of them. He bought, they bought Meetup. I, I, I actually, yeah, I remember that. That made sense to me. But Meetup, if anybody's ever used it, no, you know it's a complete disaster. Okay, I've had a subscription twice to it. I dumped it right away. It's on a month-to-month basis. I immediately got rid of it. People who go to, I can go on for hours, and our day we'll talk about it. But then they all, they, you've heard these ads for Flatiron, and they usually on CNBC. They bought Flatirons. It's a school, Flatiron School. What are they doing? I don't understand. And a lot of people are beginning to wonder, for example, there's a surfer dude in California, one of these companies, uh, the guy created surfboards. And so, you know, Newman bought it and brought him into the company. And he's like an executive. Okay, we got a high school surfer dude. Hello, Newman. Yeah, I mean, well, everything you're you're stating just kind of compounds to the, my thesis. I think that there, this is just isn't isn't very serious. You know, this is I would I would literally just say that you know the, the California tech companies, the, the the big quote unquote unicorn tech IPOs, they're just grifting off of off of the economy. Yep. I mean, they see an opportunity, they see an abundance of cash with a minimal amount of um, you know a good example. Uh, so so you know you look at the economy as a whole and you see you know a huge reduction in publicly traded companies compared to what there was years ago, an abundance of additional capital while concentrated, an abundance of additional capital in the market available for, for putting for investing, but there's not really any new companies to invest in. You know, every, everybody's valuation seems to be at the top end of what the, the ranges would be for, you know, logical valuation um, ratios and, and, you know, whatnot. The, there's just not a lot of extra place to put money right now. I mean, especially with interest rates being so low, you know, you sure as hell can't put any money in in Europe because you know you have an increasing number of countries in Europe with uh, you want to buy bonds you have to pay to have bonds like that's just total insane negative interest that's Um, just the most amazing thing you know banking interest rates in Europe are negative in a lot of in a lot of places it's just a a weird situation so not only do you have an abundance of capital in the United States but you have an abundance of capital from foreign countries coming into the United States um, or or that's already here you know the, the probably one of the saving graces is the fact that there's there's less capital because of the, the Chinese being in our tariff situation with the Chinese are, you know, economic warfare going on. Their their money isn't flowing into our system as much as it was a few years ago. Um, so you, you have people that are able to create, you know, what are legitimately big businesses, but, you know, the end game is to siphon some of the money out of the, the Wall Street system because there's no other options. 
you know, a com- the, that's the thing that's just amazing to me is you, you have companies like Lyft, Uber. Um, what's the other one? Uh, there was another big one that IPO'd um, Slack. Um, a couple other companies like that. And then, of course, this one. You know, they're multi ten, tens of billions of dollars in valuation, some of them. And they don't make a profit. Yeah, I, I just can't companies, help it. Com- I mean, and the thing is, is most of these companies don't even have a legitimate righteous plan to reach profitability. It's, it's you know, it's tongue-in-cheek almost when you read some of the... Um, some some of their documents that they they publish their their pre IPO documentation it's just silly yeah you go to the SEC and you look at the filings it's just is it a Edgar. S yeah yeah but I guess the thing that just I, I will always be old school in this regard is Jerry Maguire with Tom Cruise you know when he's on the phone with his ball player I don't remember the actor is the guy who played uh, um, O J Simpson in the um the series that we watched anyways remember his name but show me the money show me the money for years and years people would, in the investment world when you actually had people that bought individual stocks and didn't buy in these bundled mutual funds and etfs where everybody is just oh yeah i'm investing what are you investing well i'm investing in an index what index well i don't know my guy has me in an index well which which fund or which etf i don't know but i'm he's just passive is the only way to go as we they don't they don't know they have no clue what they're investing in you know instead of being old school and you actually know what's going on it's just the abdication i was going to say before well really what it comes down to is you know passive investing is consumes like 70 percent of all investment vehicles we, yep. we talked about 70 percent um 70 percent of all capital in the market is in some type of passive vehicle so in 20 percent of it is in 20 percent of, of of all capital is managed by the uber wealthy absolutely so you know really what you have is about a 10 percent band of people who actually have any skin in the game that are actually working it it's very weird that they're in you know non-passive vehicles of any kind active management very little money in that and what's really interesting is you know that effect is 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 going to be interesting going forward how it affects things but really what it comes down to the big broad strokes on it are people are viewing passive investing as just a new way to save money (laughs) you know it's the new savings account and that's borne out by the fact that most banks still are only paying about a tenth of a percent on savings accounts out there because or or, or bank accounts and savings accounts because they 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 don't have to nope um they they want you to move their money move your money into a a passively invested you know robo thing and then they'll be able to charge you basis points you know uh, commission on it it's a total joke but but the other thing is is, you know the more money you have in it and the less the more passive it is the less return you're going to have i mean there's going to be a lot less upside all you're doing is giving fees to people who have more money than you're ever going to have and you're just you're just paying the toll every single day yes you've created a minimal effort feed generation machine where overall you know the return on capital that people are going to get is going to be lower and lower and lower because there's going to be less and less to buy it's just it's a very silly situation but it is it is very weird okay so let's let's shift gears and then we'll wrap this up with with this last item here let's now move into a little bit of what we we do here and do some forecasting so what we've done is laid down the foundation that this is more of a short-term play meaning five to ten years try to get as much money out of uh, passive investors institutional money hey you know bob we're going to take a position in uh, in uh, we work because uh, we can put this as you know on our sales material this is one of the companies that we've got money in who the people will like it maybe we'll get more money you know that's what's that's what's going on right oh, of course yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's it'll be a it'll be a uh 
shiny bauble to show people. Oh, and then I also have a sales force of uh, wholesalers and internal people. So maybe we can cut a deal with WeWork and get a, get a deal on some office space. So it's, you know, and of course, of course, by doing that off book or, you know, a little, a little gray bookkeeping there, that goes on all the time. But nobody's paying attention to that stuff. But what I see the long-term play on, and we talked about this earlier today, I see the long-term play is anyone who thinks that they're going to go out and do a used online bookstore and keep that as their only model. I do used books, then I'm going to move into new books, but all we're going to do is be a bookstore. Obviously, I'm talking about Amazon. You're playing a loser's game because you've got to expand your offerings. You have to continue to increase what it is you're doing. And no matter what, people still like to go shopping. You can say what you want, but worldwide, people are still shopping at brick and mortar stores. They want to get out. I think, I think that you're going to see some real competitors in the area of co-working. Want to cover that with me a little bit? Sure. So I talked to you a little bit about I thought hotels are a classic to get into the WeWork co-working environment. I was in Tampa Palms and I was in a, uh, I don't know what the name of it was, a Ramada Days Inn, I don't know, it was someplace. It was nice, it was fairly new, kind of like a Holiday Inn Express. And I had been touring different facilities in the area, it was all business, and I wanted to see, because occasionally we have to do group events, and I thought, well... I'll take a look and see what they have, and and I don't always want to drive back and forth and you know get a hotel, get a room, and but I said to the guy, I said, man, it's just a waste of space, right? In the morning, it's busy, and they put popcorn and chips out in the evening, but it's hardly used. The big lobby area is just for the breakfast. That's what everybody does. Perfect place to have a co-working location. I think you're going to see that where that's where the advantages of Regis. You told me they're like the only ones that you can get like a subscription where you can go to different places, right? As far as I'm aware, yes. So I asked the lady for in uh, Tampa Palms, and it's called Soar, S-O-A-R. And we were talking, I was talking with her, and apparently there there are associations that are trying to be developed where people, you know, you pay a fee and you have access to other places. So it's kind of like a more, so okay. they're out there. There are businesses that are basically turnkey you want to open up a co-working place we've got everything for you we come in here's the key fobs here's the cameras they you know you just need to have the capital so it's like opening a franchise for mcdonald's or burger king or anything you know that day is going to start really kicking in uh, depending upon the size of your facility i mean we have five thousand square feet here if we decided to exit this place and use this as as a co-working place we have a beautiful facility wouldn't take much to change anything and you'd have all these offices right so I think you're going to see more and more people doing that. I also think that you're going to have shopping malls, strip centers. I mean, it makes sense. And then my next thing was, what about Walmart? What happens if they have, you know, wall work? I mean, Walmart is delivering now. They have delivery services. They're taking on Amazon. Wouldn't this make sense? And people want to be around people. So, you know, you want to have a place to get a bite to eat and, you know, go back to your office and do some work and people are comfortable. What about defense attorneys and and, and accountants and you know, people that deal with normal everyday folks again I, I just see that as an opportunity yeah you could see a lot of competition there I think it, it depends um, I think it's as far as we work actually the, their future I think obviously the the co-working stuff is just one piece of it I'm sure they have some type of game plan to expand these into doing 
if I were to guess longer term, regardless of their odd miscellaneous investments or purchases of other companies, if I were to guess long term, their aim for tar- for profitability comes to doing more kind of like um, you know, work, shopping, you know, multi-use facilities and ultimately ending up building or buying some of these facilities they use and then kind of expanding what they do into being a larger multi-purpose property management company really when it comes down to it well that's what mcdonald's did if you look at what ray Kroc did in the very beginning um, when he got the uh, exclusive right to franchise mcdonald's uh, they did not own the property until one guy finally said you know ray you don't know the business you're in you're not in the food services industry you're in the real estate industry. And so he basically hawked everything he had to begin that process of going into and financing and acquiring land. And I mean, he literally gave up a pretty good chunk of change of ownership. And uh, he obviously did very well in life. McDonald's is a very strong company now, but that's how they did that. And I can see we work basically, that's the same play. If that's what they're doing, and that's a long-term play, but... Yeah, it's just strange because they don't own anything currently, so... You know, but I, there are some in development, and they all happen yeah. to be properties that the founder owns. Yeah, but it, but it, so you know, you have to you know start the business and get some buzz and become an entity and become a player. But at the same time, you have to long term, you have to own something to be able to you know be able to actually you know have any 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 capital you know invested really um, have any worth of anything other than just some recurring revenue. I don't know. I just yeah, I find it, it's it's a strange path. I don't know what, if they're playing a short or long game, you know, what the deal is. I can see both ends of it. Um, either way, it's, it's 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 quite interesting. Yeah, long term, if they had like a vertically integrated, uh, you have, um, you know, your 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 street level shops on the on the first and second floor, but basically the first floor. And, and then your, you had your different places as you went up, you know, your doctor's offices and professionals tend to be a little bit more lower unless it's more litigation and they tend to be higher. And there's a whole pecking order and and you've got, you know, you have a living space, you have apartments. I mean, you literally, if you basically said what the president of the United States, Donald Trump has done, you live and work in your own facility. And, you, you know, I can see that. That's a, that's a really powerful long-term play. It's been done for years in, in major cities. But there is one thing we'll wrap up with this. There's one thing that, that uh, we work could get themselves in a real, real pickle with, uh, with the Department of Justice and the SEC is they are um, promoting the fact that they only need 60% occupancy to break even. That while when they start up, first 18 months or so, they're right around 80%, 85%. And they're telling people, well, their general rule of thumb is after 18 months to two years, they're at 90, 95, and they're always at 90, 95. But it doesn't make any difference. We only need 60 to break even. That's our business model. If that's not true, and we have a recession, and they wind up dropping to a 60% rate, and it's not profitable, that's called litigation. That's what called class action. That's called uh, oh, yeah. the SEC could come in and spank them pretty good. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I agree. I, I would assume that that number is probably accurate because the prices that they're charging in a lot of these places are obscene by comparison. It's not cheap. No, it's not. And I'll be, I'll be real blunt with you. Um, you know, there, I, I, I said this to you before, I'll just we'll kind of wrap with this. I'm impressed with a lot of these, these apartment complexes that are being built in the uh, Tampa, St. Petersburg area, as well as all over the country that I visit. Um, yeah, they're getting a real pretty penny for them. They've got beautiful, in several of these places have got absolutely beautiful business centers. I mean, and, and I've asked, can somebody come in? I've asked these, you know, property managers as if I'm going to rent the thing. And I say, well, if I rented a place here, you know, my staff and blah, we can use this? Yeah. Well, what if somebody comes in? Oh, we have people, we have several lawyers and psychiatrists. It's always the same. 
same thing. We have a psychologist or somebody that does this or that. They occasionally have meetings down here. It's just reserve it or first come, first serve. Not a big deal. It's just, yeah, it's, interesting. it's literally you have your own office setting. And, of course, these places, they all have coffee and they oftentimes have donuts. And, you know, it's kind of Kind of like what they do for a Starbucks. And I just, but here's the point. You have, you need, you need an office, right? So you give, you give, we work, uh, oh, I don't know, a 10 by 10 foot thing is going to cost you a thousand to twelve hundred dollars right something like that but if you got a uh, one bedroom apartment it costs you let's say uh, 1500 and two bedroom is 1700 and a three bedroom is 2000 you're better off getting a three bedroom apartment oh, of course yeah it doesn't even come close no and we works thing is they charge you by the chair so they don't they don't really charge by the space. So if your if your little mini office suite is three people, then you're paying for three chairs. So, so you know a little bit different. Most places charge by square footage or some more rational metric. Yeah, the the thing is that the world has just completely changed in and it's changed so rapidly. I met an attorney, very nice lady, and she basically has no office. She has a uh, it's all virtual. Paralegal works out of uh, her home. Legal secretary works out of her home. Receptionist. Everything is done by the phone and we were laughing and we were saying my gosh remember when we used to have offices and everything? she's just like nope yeah don't need to do it anymore i mean we have you know i still have my office we have our studios and everything else but just there's a, a rapid trend away from it i just you, i guess it's just a new way of doing business for a lot of companies absolutely well that does it for episode 100 thanks for joining me today i'm paul truesdale with fixed cost financial if you have a comment an idea a tip a trick or you just want to opine, give me a call at 888-629-7864. That's 888-629-7864. If you would like to be interviewed on our show, let us know. We'll get hold of you, and we'll figure out what makes most sense. Now, you can find us on Twitter at Fixed Cost Invest, on Facebook at Fixed Cost Investing. Our website has additional features that are not found on any of the typical public podcasting networks. So go to fixedcostinvesting.com or simply use dots.fm. That's dots.fm. Hey, listen, please subscribe to Connecting Dots wherever you listen to audio. And we'll be back tomorrow with another bite-sized bite here on Connecting Dots. All rights reserved. Reproduction or use without written authorization prohibited without written authorization. (laughs) 